Greetings, everyone. This is Pastor Bobby Barber. Grace and peace to you. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen to this recording. I am joined by Pastor Andrew Hughes. Andrew, good to see you. Yeah, you too, Bobby. And Andrew is um, talking with us from his porch, and we've got some beautiful uh, nature sounds and nature scapes going on in the background, some some good bird noises, and so that will only add and enhance the quality of our discussion. So uh, it's, it's as if you were here on the front porch with me. Yes, it is. It is. So I'm excited for those of you who are listening to be able to experience this in the fullest extent over the next few minutes. Uh, I mentioned this last week, we are in a series that we would have been preaching on Sunday mornings um, outside of this pandemic on spiritual formation. And the way that we talk about spiritual formation at SOMA is the, the reality that God is doing a transformative work in the lives of, of those who are his, that uh, that work is, um, is to bring us to a point where we are living in the way that he has created us to live. And the, the key thing about this process of transformation is that God has invited us to participate with him in our own transformation. That as we practice the way of Jesus, as we look at the scriptures and we see, you know, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus live? What did Jesus teach? And as we begin to get those things in us, that we are participating in the work of God in our own lives. And uh, the key to all of this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. None of our transformation, none of our connection and communion with God, none of our self-awareness and, and understanding who we are, um, none of our good work in the world and in the community around us would be possible apart from the power of the Spirit. And so we talked about that last week, and we, we talked about the Spirit being God's empowering presence, that the Spirit is a person, the Spirit is God, that the Spirit brings power, the, the same power that, um, that, that, that Jesus experienced in his life and in his work, and the same power that, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in those who are God's. And that the Spirit is God's presence with us. Um, and going back to our discussion from last week, Jesus in John 14 reminded his disciples, even though I'm physically going away and that you will see me no more, I will still be with you. And Jesus was preparing them for the presence, his presence in them and with them, the presence of the spirit. And so we are in this spiritual formation series, looking at God's empowering presence, the presence of the, the spirit in our lives and how that reality changes us and empowers us to live and to follow Jesus for the life of the world. 
Um, and so today, we are going to look at um, something that I think Andrew and I were talking uh, before we started recording here, that uh, is something that I think a lot of us have a hard time really digging into um, past a, a, um, a doctrinal or a, or a theological knowledge, and that is our identity as Christians who we are, who God says we are, and what that actually means for our lives. And so, you know, I wanna, I wanna begin by asking this question for those of you who are listening to, to think about for a minute. What would following Jesus look like if you assume, if you're operating under the assumption that what God feels towards you is disgust, disappointment, frustration, and even anger. What would your life as a Christian, what would following Jesus look like if that was the assumption under which you were living your life? I think at its core, it would mean that we would try to earn God's love and pleasure, that we would feel like receiving the love of God was dependent on us measuring up to the standard, whatever standard we believe God has for us. And as we all know, that only leads to frustration, uh, guilt, shame, fear, uh, everything that is the opposite of what God desires for us and the relationship that he has called us into. But quite frankly, that's the reality that many Christians live in. And so over the next few minutes, what we want to do is just have a conversation about what the Spirit's role is in our identity. And the most common description of who we are, the primary relational connection that the Scriptures talk about when it comes to us being Christians is described as a child and their father, a child with their father, that we are a part of God's family. And so what we want to do here over the next few minutes is dive into a couple of scriptures to look at that and flesh some of those things out. And so first, when we ask the question, what does the scripture say about being God's child? Let's start from Jesus's life and let's look at Mark chapter 1 familiar scene here, Jesus coming to the Jordan River and encountering John the, baptize, the baptizer. And we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. So, Pastor Andrew, when we start here in at the beginning of Jesus's public life and ministry, and we see this, um, this beautiful scene what does this communicate to us 
about being in God's family and being God's child? Well, the first thing is that this is not a, this is not just a father son relationship that it's, um, this is a, a three way relationship that you see very clearly the oneness of not just the son uh, and the father, but this, the father and the son mediated uh, their oneness mediated by a oneness with the spirit as well, that the spirit here is applying uh, God's anointing, the father's anointing on the son. Um, so uh, we can see that it's our, our relationship even then as children of God, um, not just a relationship between a child and a father, but it's a, a, a oneness between a, uh, a child, a father mediated or applied by the very spirit of God. Um, I think it's helpful to see that the spirit, not just in this case, but uh, uh, throughout the rest of Jesus' ministry, we see the spirit, um, we've referred to him as, as an empowering presence. So we see him uh, empowering Jesus to do the things of God, not, not the things of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's not acting out his own will or, or uh, leading Jesus according to his own will, but he's, he's applying the will of the Father to the Son, leading Jesus to do the things that God the Father would have him do. And we see that just right at the beginning of his ministry here, as the Spirit takes this active role in applying God's blessing or God's anointing on his Son to commission him then to go out into the world and do the things of God the Father. Yeah, this is what we see here is a public declaration of the Father's love for the Son. And this is God the Father essentially giving his Son an identity. You know, this is a gift of, of God the Father to his Son and announcing that you are my beloved son. You're the son I love and I am pleased in you. And I don't think that there's any coincidence here that this is how Jesus begins his public life and ministry, because this is the foundation. I think sometimes we have a sense, we talked about this last week, that, that Jesus lived in this sense of, and with this sense of like, well, hey, I'm God, I can do anything. Uh, this sense of divine bravado in his life, that all of his, his power and his teaching and his, his healing, the fact that he uh, endured rejection and suffering and ultimately uh, 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 committed to death and death on the cross was out of this sense of like, well, I'm just God and I can get through this and I can do this. But I think what we see here in this in this beautiful picture is that the oneness between the Father and the Son, mediated by the Spirit, um, was the foundation for Jesus's ministry. This was the the atmosphere, the environment, so to speak, in which Jesus was living and working and doing the things of his Father. Was knowing that his Father loved him. And his father was pleased to him, pleased, um, uh, pleased in him. And that Jesus's understanding of that, his experience of that was through the spirit. The spirit mediated the father's love to Jesus. And so 
you know, this is really, really important for us as we think about this is that we have been brought into a family that already existed. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it, we have brought, been brought into a relationship that already existed between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And it's within that relationship that God desires us to, to, to live and to work and to do his will just as Jesus did. Yeah, I think that's a really important, uh, that's a really important point to see that, that our sonship with God the Father is not, is not, it's not my sonship. It's not Bobby's sonship. Um, we, we are brothers of Jesus. So our sonship is a sonship like Jesus's is. And, and so it's, it's, uh, it's just really important to see that at, even at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when God is anointing him with the Spirit, calling him his son, uh, that that's the way that God adopts us as sons. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's dig more into this and, and what the Holy Spirit's role actually is in this and, and how we see this fleshed out in our own lives. And for that, we're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 8, a familiar passage written by the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8. And this entire passage is Paul laying out what life in the Spirit looks like. And I want to key in on some verses uh, right in the middle of chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 14. And Paul writes, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him, the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. And Paul goes on to talk about suffering and um, the reality of suffering in our lives. But, you know, we mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, as we looked at Jesus's baptism, that the spirit mediates God's love for us to us. And, and Paul says as much in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we receive the love of God, God our Father, through the Holy Spirit. But here in Romans chapter 8, Andrew, um, what, what does that actually look like? What, how does Paul say, listen, this is what receiving the love of God, the love of God being poured out into our heart, this is what it means for us in a real lived experience? Well, we see, I think most importantly, in verse, uh, verse 15, 
Um, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's, it's first a, an, uh, I don't know if this is even a word, but an affectional uh, call. It's we've, we've received, we receive affections. Uh, the Holy Spirit stirs our affections such that we're led to cry out, Abba, Father to God. It's not first um, what, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, receiving of God's love and our, our position as sons of God is not, is not first a theological or an intellectual thing. It's not first a moral thing. It's first an, an affectional thing that, it, that the Holy Spirit gives us these affections that lead us to cry out to God as Father. Um, we and we see that in the ministry of Jesus as well that there Jesus uh, obedience to the Father is not is not just a a following a set of rules or enacting a plan that it's driven by affections. I mean you see that most poignantly in the garden when Jesus is uh, crying out to God and saying, "Take this cup from me yet not not my will but yours it's not a it, we don't see Jesus um, surrendering himself to God out of fear or out of uh, this sense of moral obligation or even duty. But we see the affection, the tenderness of, of Jesus and his relationship with God the Father. So I think it's first and probably foremost, uh, receiving the spirit, receiving our identity as sons and daughters of God is receiving affections from the spirit for the Father. And I think this is hard for many of us because we don't have, many of us don't have a category for, um, for loving our, or even our earthly fathers. That we don't, many of us don't have a deep affection for our fathers. That there just aren't a lot of healthy father-son, father-daughter relationships. Um, I think, you know, the, the best that we get of that is snippets and, and, um, film or in books and we were talking offline I brought up um Lion King that I was watching with my kids last night and uh there's the scene where um Simba's getting in trouble for leading Nala into the uh you know into danger essentially in Mufasa Mufasa takes Simba he sends Nala on home and says tells Zazu I've got to teach my son a lesson so you see Simba kind of slinking up towards his father very clearly understanding that he's done something wrong. Um, Mufasa explains to Simba the severity of what he's done wrong. And then they end by playing and romping around and laughing together. And I seized the opportunity in my um, fatherly wisdom to teach my kids a lesson about obedience and immediate obedience, as we like to call it, um, that uh, Simba, Simba didn't balk when Mufasa said, Simba, come here, I need to teach you a lesson. Simba didn't talk back. He just went to his father. I said, kids, do you see how, how Simba's relating to his father here, that he's not talking back? He's just, you know, he's just obeying and going and receiving his, his instruction from his father, to which <clears throat> my nine-year-old rightly pointed out uh, when they ended their little talk by romping and playing that, uh, that daddy doesn't always do that. <laughs> when, you know, when my kids are in trouble, we don't, we don't always end with romping and playing and laughing. And I think that that hurt. Um, I think I just, I saw the way in which, um, even me with my own kids, I'm not, I'm not great at giving them this, this, uh, accurate picture of, of what it means to 
really feel affections for your father to have that um, that shared that shared love and that shared affection that uh, we we err on one side you know either either too um, too uninvolved or too over involved. I tend to err on the side of being too over involved with providing direction and instruction to my kids. All that to say, I think the 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 most important thing to see here is that this when we receive the spirit of adoption as sons, we receive in a spirit a spirit of affection of love. We tend to when we talk about this passage and focus on the idea of adoption, and and this is important. It's important for us to know and to understand what Paul had in mind when he was laying out this picture. Um, is the the uh, kind of the legal aspect of adoption in Roman society and how the adopt the adopted child would come in and receive all of the the full like rights and access and inheritance that a natural born child biological child would um, uh, would receive and and that is really important but when I read these words here in Romans eight there there is a um, they're they're dripping with affection uh, both in the way in which we respond to the spirit but also in the way that the spirit allows um, us to receive the love that God has for us. And so while yes, when, when we place our faith in Jesus and God brings us into his family and makes us his own, yes, we do have all of the legal standing and, and the inheritance. And, you know, Paul gets at that talking about being co-heirs with Christ. And, but we also come to a father who says, I love you just like I love my own son. I love you and I want you to know the love that I have, the love that, I, that we have as God. I want you to know that and know it in a real way. And I think, you know, um, especially for some of us who grew up in church context, probably a lot of us can't remember a time when we didn't like begin to know or comprehend the fact that God loves us. Uh, that's something very early on that we teach our kids is about the love of God. And, but sometimes we fail to recognize that without the spirit, we can't understand the love of God. We can't know the love of God uh, in, a, in a comprehensive way. And also we can't feel the love of God in an experiential way. You know, God wants the affection that he has towards us, not to just be comprehended by us, but also to be experienced by us in the way that we actually live our lives. And I think it's interesting that Paul in verse 14 talks about for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. And I think that's really, really important to think about um, what does that mean to be led by the Spirit of God. And I think the inverse needs to be drawn out that, that if, we, if we try to lead ourselves, we can't be led by the Spirit of God. And I think what Paul is saying here is being led by the Spirit of God involves surrender. There is a, there is a sense in which we, we have to surrender to the Spirit of God 
to know that we are children of God, to, to experience the, ch- the, the, the sonship, the daughtership of being a part of God's family involves us surrendering to the spirit. And the only way, the only way that we will be able to surrender to the spirit of God is through love. It's not out of fear. It's not out of duty or obligation. Um, It's not out of guilt or out of shame. And that's what Paul is getting at here is that we don't surrender ourselves to God. We aren't led by the spirit of God out of fear, which leads to slavery. But we experience the spirit. We experience God and his love through the spirit. And we are able to surrender ourselves to the leading of the spirit uh, because we know that God loves us. Um, what, what does this, Andrew, what does this really mean in an experiential way? Uh, it, it can be really easy for us to just talk about this in a very um, academic sense. But when we think about fear and slavery versus God our Father and, and, and us as his loved children, what does this mean for us in a, in a in an experiential way? Yeah, it's it's hard because, like I said, I think a lot of us just don't have categories for this kind of love or this kind of relationship, um, and so it's hard for us to process what it means to live in light of love and not in light of fear or in light of um, you know a sense of duty. Just thinking of all the all the ways in which relationships between fathers and children can be dysfunctional. Um, so it's, it's a hard question. It's a hard, um, it's hard to apply this idea, uh, especially in the context of a, of a teaching or, um, or, you know, or even just in, in a book or something like that, because it's, um, yeah, I just, I think you're bringing up a really good point that God doesn't just intend for us to understand that he loves us but to feel and to know that he loves us as a father loves a son. And it's, it's difficult to do that without categories for it that are real and experiential and felt. Um, one of the things that we were talking about um, before we hit record was this idea that um, thinking about just our own baggage and our own family dynamics and the categories that we do have for relationships between fathers and children the extent to which we have even even moderately dysfunctional family relationships, I think there's a sense in which we need to resist falling back into those or resist staying in those dysfunctional family dynamics and really think think differently and, and, and feel differently with the affections of God given by the Holy Spirit and live into this new reality that we've been adopted into a new family, a family that's governed by and marked by love and affection and self-giving, um, that what it looks like to be changed by these affections that we've been given by the Spirit is to, uh, is to, to turn our backs on what might be comfortable or what might be familiar or what we know of family life and to live into this new family that we've been adopted into that God the Father loves his son, Jesus, and he's adopted us into that family. So we're now 
brothers with Jesus, co-heirs with Jesus. And if Jesus, if Jesus responded to that love and that affection by giving and giving and giving and giving, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, um, that this, this new family dynamic that we've been adopted into is one of, of self-giving and of, and of love and brotherly affection. But it's hard. It's hard to apply this without, without real categories. It's hard to make this something other than just uh, intellectual or theological without the, the real experience of love. And I, I do think uh, Nate brings this up all the time. Um, I think at Soma Northwest, we have a really rich context for this because there's a lot of, there's a lot of fellowship and a lot of affection amongst the brothers and sisters in our, in our church body that we have as a point of reference. Yeah, the, um, many of our, many of our family relationships are marked by volatility. Uh, they're transactional. Um, they're, uh, even to the point of, um, uh, fear inducing. There is a lot of, um, there's not a lot of safety. There's not a lot of security. Um, and honestly, I think, you know, and I've heard this from a number of uh, friends of mine who at a very early age came to some kind of an understanding that uh, they were kind of on their own and that for them to, to live in a way that they desired to live or to experience a healthy life that largely they couldn't depend on their parents to provide that for them. And so when we read these words here about what this family relationship looks like, you're right. It's, it's, it's very different from many people's lived experience in their own family relationship. But this is where I think we need to have eyes to see and understand that, um, that, when we do experience these things, uh, um, when these things are present in our lives, that it is the spirit, that that is the spirit of God uh, translating the love of God into our lives. Mm -hmm. That it's not that, you know, we're gonna get into this next week when we talk about what it, what it looks like to actually live in the spirit and walk in the spirit. But when we think about the fruit of the spirit, those things aren't born out of technique or willpower. Those things come from the spirit and come out of our identity as children of God. That when we're really living in that and embracing that and receiving the love of God, that that is what produces those beautiful things in our lives. And so, you know, as I look at this passage, I see um, a release from being afraid of God and afraid of other people. And so when we look at our lives and we see that we aren't living in fear about what other people can do to us or what other people think about us, when we're not living uh, from a place of fear towards God and we are open towards God and vulnerable, that is the spirit. That's the spirit's work in us. Um, when we live in freedom, when, when we're not bound up by um, 
uh, by sin or we're not allowing our limitations when our limitations and our weaknesses aren't keeping us chained up um, and, and withdrawn from other people. That is the spirit of God. When we're living free and open and vulnerable in our relationships with others, that's the spirit of God. When we, when we have a real sense, like in our bodies of being safe and being secure, that is the spirit of God. And something very simply as being able to love, like being able to love and then being able to receive the love of other people in our lives without be it being a transactional thing or a conditional thing, but truly giving and receiving unconditional love, that is the spirit. That's the evidence of being led by the spirit of God. And then lastly, you know, Paul talks about suffering. None of us would ever be able to endure suffering in any kind of a healthy way or, or a, um, a way that produced anything good apart from living out of a secure relationship with our father, knowing that our father loves us. Our father will never abandon us. Our father will be there in the midst of our deepest, darkest trials and the, and the worst kind of suffering we could ever imagine because of the spirit. And the spirit begins to mediate that love of the father to us and allows us to experience that. Um, you've mentioned a few things here already, and I just keep thinking about the obstacles that we face. Um, some of the things that are just baked into our reality that make it really, really difficult for us to embrace being God's child. Um, we've talked about our family systems being out of, out of whack and, and just the, the father and mother wounds and limitations that a lot of us live with. Uh, what are some other things, Andrew, that you feel like are, are just real roadblocks to us being able to experience in a real sense, in a tangible sense, our childhood in the family of God? We talked about this a little bit last week, but the fact that this is all based in faith, you know, faith, being the belief in things that we can't see uh, makes us really hard because we're we're just very tip of our nose kind of people that we we want things that we can feel and we can touch and we can put our hands on and we can we can verify uh, with you know scientific methods and things, um, but living living into our identity as children of God requires faith which makes it difficult. And the ten, I think the tendency that we have, especially as uh, 21st century Americans, is, is to live by things that we can see and things that we control. And that's not how the family dynamics of God operate. You know, they, they, they operate on faith. It requires faith to, to um, it requires faith to lay down our lives in love for our brothers, to trust that, um, giving of the things that we can control, giving those things up and laying them down for the good of our brothers, uh, that there's, that there's something better than the thing that we have right in front of us or the thing that we control. I think it's, that's especially relevant right now, uh, as we're facing so much uncertainty, the inclination can be to retreat or to build up our, our barriers, barriers or to go back into a really 
carnal self-protective mode. And so it's, it's difficult that the family of God operates on faith, that it's, it requires us to believe that it is better to give than to receive and that we can love because God first loved us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that is good. And that is, <laughs> that is something that I think, especially in a time like this, that is so disorienting. And so um, it just, it, it, we're off balance um, in so many ways as a person, it, it is, it's very easy for us to retreat back into our priors, you know, and just, and try to, try to experience, um, or try to, to, to mitigate the things that we're feeling in this moment with how we would have done it in a different moment. And, and it just, you know, uh, oftentimes those are unhealthy and, and, and put us in a really bad place. And, you know, earlier this week, um, I, I had, uh, just, a, I, I was really down. I was beating myself up over something. Um, and, uh, you know, it just like one of those classic things where you get caught in a cycle of shame and it just kind of, uh, you, you obsess over stuff and you beat yourself up and then you obsess over beating yourself up and you beat yourself up over, you know, more about because you beat yourself up and you just get in, you get caught in these things. And, and, I, I had this moment and I'm standing in my kitchen and I'm, I'm just feeling, just feeling like an idiot. I, I'm, I'm really having a hard time uh, believing anything good. And in that moment, I got this picture in my mind of who I really am. And, and it wasn't like, uh, you know, it wasn't like a dreamlike state or a trance or anything. It was just like, I, 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 the words and and the images of God's pleasure over me and his goodness towards me just really filled my mind. And at the same time, I began to feel it in my body. I began to feel the tension that I had been carrying over the, the last few hours begin to release this weight that it just, you know, you get this heaviness in your body when you get in these times of just discouragement. Just felt that weight lifted and there was a real release and there was a real sense of like yes this this is god like this is god communicating his goodness to me but immediately like almost immediately like i my mind started reacting against it i started questioning well is this really true is this really what's true about me? Is this really what God is trying to communicate to me in this moment? Or is this just me? Is this just some, um, some built-in uh, uh, release valve that is trying to escape this well-deserved beating that, I, that I'm inflicting on myself? And I, and I looked back on that um, here as, as I began to prepare for our discussion this week. I just saw that like in that moment, I was really fighting against the spirit. Like that was the spirit living in me, giving me in that moment, the love of the father in a real embodied way and really communicating to me, both in my mind and in my body, that you are loved, you are, you are accepted, you are safe, you are secure. But my reaction was not to receive it in joy and to receive it with thanksgiving 
but to bury myself deeper and deeper in shame. And, and I think that that was something to me, you know, shame and guilt is something that uh, I think probably every human being uh, experiences to some extent. For me, it, it's just, it's a big part of um, my experience and it's something that um, I continue to have to bring before the Lord and be aware of. But just even in that moment, where God was trying to communicate to me who I was and how he really saw me and what he wanted me to know and experience. And it was all good that my own prior of, of just beating myself up just was so strong that instead of receiving it, I just reacted and went the, went the other way. And I think that for a lot of us that those are things that we have to deal with. And those are things that we have to uh, understand is when we experience the love of God, when we know it in our minds, when we begin to feel it in our bodies, what are the, what are the ways in which we react against it? And why is that? You know, is our, do we immediately try to earn it? Do we try to push it away? Do we try to translate it into some other unhealthy, um, you know, uh, uh, remedy for whatever we're feeling in that moment? Like, why is it that we have such a hard time just surrendering ourselves and receiving the love of God? Do you have, do you have any other thoughts on that, Andrew, or anything that? No, I, I mean, other than just to say amen, and I think that's that's certainly makes it difficult that we've got all these uh just these preset reflexes that we've developed over over time that uh be, like i said because of all the dysfunction because of our sin and our pride uh we've just conditioned ourselves to respond to certain ways and it's hard work to undo a lot of that and to learn a new way of of living in in fellowship with one another and in fellowship with god the father receive his love requires that we lay ourselves down that's just not easy to do um, one of the thought, and I'll I'll try to make this cohesive, but um, another thing I think that makes this difficult for us is that we we don't understand obedience rightly, and I think that's even just in in the example that you just gave. You know, we're experiencing in a moment where we're we're overwhelmed with guilt or something like that, and the the you can see God through the spirit planting seeds uh, of life in your heart in that moment. And he plants the seeds and Satan wants to come and, and uh, take them away or scorch them or make sure they land by the thorns and thistles and get choked out. And one, one of the ways that I respond in situations like that is to immediately, uh, uh, I guess the way that I, the way that I feel guilt is that I feel that I've, I've not obeyed or I've not done something that I should do as a son of God, you know, if, if I'm a child of God, I should do this thing, or I should act a certain way, or feel a certain way. Um, and just to tie it back to the to the emphasis that we put at the beginning on on the affections of God the Father and the affections that the Spirit gives us for the Father, that obedience, the obedience of a son to a father, is not is not the same as obedience of a slave to a master just to, to go back to that contrast that I, I think a lot of us 
either think too too little of obedience that Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And we, we either think too little of that or we think too much of that. And I think that's another, that's another barrier uh, between us and really receiving and understanding and living into our identity as children of God. So we don't rightly understand what it means for children of God to obey their father. It's not, it's not box checking. It's not uh, law following that it's really bound up in these affections that I, I love my father and I want to do the will of my father. And I believe that his will is good for me. Uh, you know, I, I think just our, our, our lack of understanding of what obedience really means um, causes problems in this space too. We both have young kids and we've both um, been involved in teaching our kids how to swim and how to, you know, navigate being in a body of water. And one of the things that's always, um, that has been um, interesting for me to watch is my kids learning how to float, how to float in the pool. And uh, when, they, when they're first learning how to float, you know, uh, they have a really hard time, and understandably so, allowing the water to do the work um, and allowing the, um, the water to hold them up. And so I've noticed my kids and, and other kids um, as, you know, the instructor is teaching them and, and gradually like get, giving them more and more um, uh, uh, a, a push out into the water, letting their hands go there's this reflex to thrash and to fight against the water. When, uh, and, and what happens is the more that you thrash against it and fight against it, um, the more you sink. And it, you see that moment when it's like something clicks, when it's like there's a release and there is a surrender to the water that allows our kids to begin to float and, and not sink. And um, some of our listeners will be familiar with David Benner, who is an author and he has a number of different books that is really, that have really um, ministered to me and encouraged me. But in his book called Surrender to Love, he writes this about the, the idea of, of the water and of floating. And um, he says that, you know, floating is a good illustration of uh, letting go of self-dependence and transferring dependence onto someone else. Um, and he says floating is a good illustration of this because you cannot float until you let go. Floating is putting your full weight on the water and trusting that you will be supported. It is letting go of your natural instincts to fight against sinking. Only then do you discover that you are supported. And he says that the reason that we don't have to be afraid is that we have been given the spirit of God. We are in the river. We do not need to thrash about trying to float. And his whole point there is that when we surrender to the love of God, that instead of fighting and thrashing and trying to earn it or trying to run from it or, or whatever, that it's in that moment that we actually begin to experience the life that God wants us to experience a life, like Paul says, of freedom, 
uh, a life that is not falling back into slavery, but a life that involves freedom and living life to the fullest and, and receiving the love of God and giving the love of God. And so I just think that's a really helpful analogy um, as we think about that. So as we close out, as we do each week, we want to bring this down for this moment. And we've, we've, we've hit around this a little bit already, but when we think about our identity uh, as sons and daughters of God, that we have been adopted into the family of God and that the Holy Spirit who lives with us and in us communicates and mediates this love to us in a, in a very real embodied way. Um, what, what's a word for us in this moment um, as we are isolated from each other, as we are out, as we're out of the rhythm of, of normal life, as we know it, um, as we are prohibited from doing the things that we'd like to do, being around the people that we want to be around as we're being faced with a lot of uncertainties about what the next you know, month, six months, year, year and a half is going to look like for us. Uh, what is, what does this truth mean for us in this moment? I want to, I want to take it back to, um, to this notion that we're not adopted as, as individuals uh, into an individual relationship with the father, but that we're adopted into a family of brothers and sisters and just really press in to our folks to continue doing the things that you're doing as brothers and sisters in Christ and the way that you're loving each other in really felt ways because we don't we don't have many categories for the kind of affection that is described in scripture of father for his children brothers for their brothers um, so keep loving each other Keep laying down your lives and giving of yourselves and pouring yourselves out for one another, um, knowing that as you do that, you're giving, we're giving each other um, things that we can hold on to that help us to experience the love of God the Father, the love of being adopted sons and daughters into this family. Let's keep giving each other, uh, building out those categories for love and affection. Um, so that we we have things to hold on to to understand and to really feel what this means to be an adopted son or daughter of God. Yeah, and this is where just the beautiful picture of the tragic yet beautiful picture of the cross and the realities of the cross really come home to us is that Jesus began his ministry by hearing his father say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And yet on the cross, Jesus experienced the rejection of his father and the turning away of his father. It was because Jesus was willing to experience that rejection that the possibility that would happen to us is taken away, that Jesus was rejected by his father. We will never be rejected by our father. Jesus was experienced the turning away of his father in his hour of greatest need. 
we will never experience that in our need. And I think that that is something that, again, can get lodged in our heads um, and can just be something that we say we know. I think like this, there is fear, there is anxiety, and it's real um, that we face in this moment. But we need to remind ourselves and we need to live into the truth that God is still working, that he's still sovereign, that we can surrender ourselves in this moment to his love. That, as you mentioned earlier, a life of faith is not some um, wistful, fanciful, out of, you know, disengaged from reality kind of life. A life of faith is saying, hey, I have no idea. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen tomorrow. But instead of being locked down in absolute fear and anxiety and paralyzed by that not knowing, what God wants me to know in this moment is that he loves me, that he's not going to turn away from me, that he's not going to reject me, that he's not going to abandon me when I need him the most. Um, And when we begin to receive that and actually say, like, yes, I believe that that's true. I'm, I'm opening myself up to receive that and to experience that. Um, there's a vulnerability that comes from that. And there's an outwardness of living that can come from that. Uh, you know, this isn't the time to play it safe. It's not the time to revert back to our priors of, you know, uh, self-sufficiency and, and hyper-individualism and, and all of that. Um, this is a time to give. It's a time to open ourselves up and, and to receive the love of God, but also to receive the love of others, um, to allow other people to minister to us and in turn to minister to other people and to give of ourselves to other people. And, I, and again, like I know that just there's a lot of people listening who are experiencing just the, the, the cracks and um, the the fissures in the family systems that they're a part of. Um, And whether that's dealing with their own parents during this moment, whether it's dealing with siblings. And then for those of us, you know, who are married, for those of us who have children, um, there's just a lot of different dynamics at play. And this time is putting just a lot of strain and a lot of uh, of pressure on um, relationships that already have limitations and already are weak and sometimes at the breaking point. And so what what God wants us to know in this moment is because we are loved by him, because he will um, never forsake us, because he will always make his love real to us, that we don't, we aren't doomed (laughs) to suffer the the continuation of our own family dysfunction. And you've said that here, and I just want to reiterate that. And so for those of you listening who are feeling that right now, who are feeling discouraged, um, who may be even at the point of despair about just the dynamics of your, your family, whatever that looks like, what God wants you to know in this moment is that you aren't stuck in this um, and that his spirit lives with you and in you to make his love known and real to you. And because of that, you can live in freedom 
and you can choose, you can love people who are unlovable. You can serve people who will not give you anything back in return. Uh, you can lay yourself on the line for people who will just step all over you, but know that God is with you in this and that it is worth it and that his love will be made known more and more and more and more and more to you and through you during this. Yeah, I just wanted to add that uh, if, if you don't, we talked a little bit last week about uh, just trying to describe the nature of the, of the Holy Spirit, that if you have no category for the Holy Spirit or a life of faith lived with and led by the Holy Spirit, that it may be because that you've not received the Holy Spirit and you've not received your adoption as a son or daughter into this family, uh, whether you've thought of yourself as a Christian or not. And I just wanted to encourage people that this is the work of the Spirit to lead, to lead his sons and daughters to the Father, to lead us to adoption, this Father into this family where God loves us and he leads us by his love to love others. And so if that's, if that's new to you or something you've not understood or thought about uh, before, I know Bobby, Nate, and I would love to, to talk more. Um, I'm not sure how people can reach out to us, but um, just wanted to, to reiterate that the, the work of the Spirit is calling his sons and daughters into this family, into, into being adopted as sons and daughters. Yeah, amen. Well, next week, we are going to take a look at what it means to walk in the Spirit. What does life in the Spirit look like now that we understand and, and, and have seen from the scriptures that our foundation for living is rooted in God's love for us and the, the family relationship that we have with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. What does this actually mean for us in a life of faith in this world? What does it mean to follow Jesus and what is life in the spirit? actually look like. Andrew, thank you as always. Um, and folks, thanks for listening. I want to leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul from the end of his second letter to the Corinthians. Receive this. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace be with you all. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Grace and peace to you.